Good morning. A question for people. How many of you have ever had a garden before? Do you have a green thumb where you can make anything grow out of the ground? Or maybe do you have a black thumb where um, it's hard for you to make a cactus survive? Now, most of my life, I have to confess, I have been fairly disinterested in plants. I watched my grandfather growing up um, have a very nice garden, but I was, I was thinking, well, that's really his hobby. I don't, I don't really have, have any desire myself to try and make plants grow. Um, and you know, people would give me plants all the time over the years, and many of them would die. I think I lost track of how many times um, Christian and I received an orchid as a gift, and um, it might last for a few weeks in our home, but they never blossomed again, and you know, a few weeks later, they would bite the dust. But then one year, Christina, one fateful day, mentioned to me that she would like to have a vegetable garden for her kids, because it would be a good way, she said, for them to learn um, some good work with their hands growing up. So, and so, starting three years ago, I became a gardener. It's become one of my hobbies that I actually do enjoy. So I researched uh, what kind of soil to buy, how to plant each vegetable seed, how to get rid of snails and mold and leaves. And um, it's, it's been good for our boys. Gabriel, he really does know how to work with his hands, even though he's only four. He likes to water our plants, he pulls weeds, and he, like, he knows how to pick ripe vegetables. Ethan is still a work in progress. He um, will pick all the green tomatoes, and he'll get pretty dirty, but he, um, he's not too much of a helper yet. But Lord willing, we'll see what happens. Well, today we'll be learning about planting seeds and looking for fruit in a spiritual sense. We're going to um, look at the first of a series of parables that the Lord Jesus is telling in chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. I'll just start reading in uh, verse 3 of chapter 13. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So why is Jesus telling this parable? He's addressing the multitude when he tells the actual parable, but when he gives the full explanation of what the parable means, he's talking only to his disciples. Jesus wants his disciples to know what kinds of scenarios they will come across when they try and share the gospel. And today, if you're any follower of the Lord, and you're trying to talk to unsaved people about the Lord, these, there are four different types of people that you'll come across that we'll look at in more detail today. The Lord wants us to be prepared so we know what kind of responses we'll face when we try to share the word with people. So we have here a parable with agriculture. Now, if I was someone in the multitude hearing about seeds and soil and yielding crops, the parable makes a lot of sense on the surface. Like I said, I'm um, something of an amateur gardener myself. Um, 
past few years, I've grown like cucumbers and tomatoes and squash and kale and lettuce in my yard. And I am really stoked when I see a seedling first popping out of the ground. And I'm even more stoked when I see the first vegetable start ripening on the, on the plant. And as a person who gardens and grows uh, my own vegetables in the backyard, I can say the things described in this parable, they do happen in real life. If I leave some seed just out on the surface of the ground, it will likely get eaten up by birds or something else. I have made the mistake of planting some of my seeds in soil that is too shallow. And I've watched as my plant starts to grow, but then it withers away and dies because there's not enough root space in the soil I placed it in. If I have weeds that are growing up among my vegetable seeds that I've planted, weeds, sadly enough, grow a lot faster than a lot of actual vegetables. And unless I take out the offending weeds, the seeds I've planted might sprout, but the resulting plant will often get stunted and will often be unable to grow into a fruitful adult plant because the surrounding weeds or thorns as the parable puts it. Uh, they take away all of the plant's nutrients and they block the sunlight that my plant needs to grow. It gets choked out, as the Lord puts it. Jesus describes plants that do produce crops as having different yields, some 100-fold, some 60, some 30, and this is something I observe in my plants too. Sometimes I have plants that produce a lot more vegetables than other plants. Now, I don't know why, but for some reason this year, my yellow squash produced literally three times as many vegetables as my zucchinis. Now, if I was one of the people in the multitude, though, listening to the Lord Jesus, I might think, wait a second, what's going on here? What's, what's Jesus talking about here? Why is he talking about seeds and soil? Of course, the Lord is not just talking about uh, agriculture. As David mentioned last week, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And we see the real meaning behind the parable starting in verse 18, when the Lord explains what's really going on here. I'll just read the Lord's explanation starting in verse 18 of Matthew 13. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So the four types of soil mentioned in the parable, they represent the hearts of four different types of people. But actually, you could say there's really only um, two types of people in this parable. There are those who understand the word of the kingdom and those who don't. If you notice the language used in the Lord's explanation of the parable, 
there is only one set of people who, as Jesus puts it, understands the word of the kingdom. The person who is represented by those who receive seed by the wayside, the ones who receive the seed in stony places, and those who receive seed among thorns, they're all mentioned as someone who hears the word. All these people have had exposure to the word of God, and the gospel has reached their ears. Only the person who received seed on the good ground is a person who understands it. Now, if we take the word of the kingdom to, the, to be the gospel message, is the gospel really hard to understand? It's really not. If you put the gospel in a nice, compact form, as just mentioned in, like, say, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, I'll just read a verse. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. It's really not that complicated a message. Or if I apply that message to myself, I'm a sinner, fully deserving of hell, but Christ died for my sins on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day. And by believing that message and applying it to myself, I'm saved. But in three of the four types of ground mentioned, the gospel message has not sunken in. And why is that? The first type of ground we see is the wayside. And what's the wayside? Now, we don't use that term a lot in the 21st century, but the wayside is like a path or a road. And thinking of a literal path or road, this is, um, this is actually not the ideal place that you would be planting seeds. Because if you're looking at a dirt road, the ground is hard from people walking and driving over it all day. For any seed to be properly planted, it has to get under some dirt. Now, if like, you're planting a, a zucchini seed, you have to have like, at least one inch of dirt over the seed. Or if a smaller seed, you need maybe less dirt, like a carrot seed needs only like a quarter of an inch of dirt to be over it. But um, you still have to have the seed under some dirt for anything to happen. But the seed on the wayside doesn't have that chance because the ground is too hard. And the type of person this parable is referring to as ground by the wayside is a person with a heart hard towards the gospel. Now, you might try to reason with this person regarding the Bible, but you're not going to get anywhere. It's not because they don't have the intellectual capacity to understand the gospel. It's that they're not willing to accept what God has to say to them. I can remember one of my college friends, I tried to talk with him one time about the Bible, and he said, Mike, you're my friend, and we can talk about anything else, but I don't want to talk about God. Now, this is, this is already a sad situation, but to make things worse, you have Satan, um, as is depicted by the birds of the air, Satan taking away the word that was shared with these people. And this is really an act of judgment. God has given this person the chance to hear the gospel and be saved, but because they have chosen to reject his offer, the Lord hardens this person's heart for the gospel further. This kind of person is choosing not to have God in their life, so the Lord gives that person just what they want by allowing Satan to take away what little of the word of God they might have heard. 
Now, this is not to say that you might not encounter um, spiritual opposition from Satan when you're trying to witness someone who is not spiritually hardened. It can still happen. It can be very visible sometimes when Satan is swooping down and snatching the word of God away from someone. I can still remember this one time. Um, my, sister, my sister and I were in France um, one year helping out a missionary who had a book stand in um, several marketplaces in France. And he had a lot of evangelistic literature. And it was always interesting to see people's responses. There were a lot of people who would just uh, pass by without a second glance, but there were sometimes people who would just stop and stare and just read um, the signs that um, our friend Jerry had posted. There was this one day, however, there was this um, young Muslim girl. She couldn't have been more than 12 years old. And she stopped by the table and just started to look really closely at what was on the table, at the different tracks and books. And she was reading intensely, it seemed like. But just then, her mom just grabbed her wrist and just snatched her away and dragged her away from the table. I think I just stopped and stared for a while and thought, oh, that was so sad. Now, the second type of ground, who, as Jesus puts it, received the seed in stony places, this is someone who um, professes to be a believer. They say they're Christians. They might say things like praise the Lord and go to church meetings and appear joyful in the company of believers. They might have even been baptized. A person casually passing by a church might assume they were Christian. But there's no fruit in this person's life of the kind that we'll look into later in the parable with a person who is truly saved. There's been no inward change in this person's life. The Lord says that when tribulation or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. They fail at having a testimony for the Lord. So what might this look like in 21st century America? Now, compared to um, other countries in the world, and certainly compared to New Testament times, we don't really suffer a whole lot of persecution in America. I, I don't have to be worried about being imprisoned or having violence done to me because I say I'm a believer. But a person in the States might still experience a lot of uh, social or peer pressure, maybe at school or at work. You say perhaps a believer makes a bold stand for the Lord and gets made fun of because of it. Maybe a believer is ridiculed at work for saying that they believe that God created the heavens and the earth and all the creatures on the earth in six days instead of believing the theory of evolution that most people accept. Now, the person who received the seed in stony places might be a bystander who sees a true believer being persecuted, but distances himself from the believer, saying, well, I don't believe what he believes. That's not me. Sure, evolution's true. This kind of person doesn't want to stand out from the crowd. Now, of course, a true believer might still sometimes falter in the face of persecution, but it won't be their practice. Maybe this person who received the ground on stony places might only last for a few days. I still remember in college that there was this one person, um, one of my housemates and I had witnessed to a number of times, and one night he made a profession. And you know, he, he told me he had started reading the Bible a lot, but then I think it was just a few days later, maybe he was 
getting a little worried about what other people in the house were thinking of him. But then he basically said, no, the Bible's not for me. The ground with thorns. This world really has a lot of things that turn people away from God. The cares of this world. What are the cares of this world? These are things that make people worry. Will I get into a good school? Will I get a good job? How am I going to take care of my family? Will I have enough money to retire? Now, you can worry yourself thick. You can worry yourself sick thinking about all the possible cares of this world. A person can worry about these things so much that it can be easy to think, I got too much going on in my life. I don't have time for God. Now, I can remember I, I thought this way as an unsafe person in college. I was going to a Bible study sometimes that was going on in my fraternity house, but there were times where I thought to myself, I got to study. I got midterms and lab reports to do. I don't have time to study the Bible. And then there's the deceitful riches of this world. Money, fame, career. All these things can choke the word as the Lord puts it in someone's life. Riches are really a deceitful thing. It's so easy to think, you know, if only I had this one thing in my life, then I'd be happy. But the riches are deceitful. You can just look on, um, you can just do a web search, just Google what happens to people who win the lottery, and you'll actually find a lot of sad stories about people who thought money would make them happy, and they, they end up totally miserable. But people are still drawn to the things of the world, so they're turned away from the word of God. I still remember there was this other occasion in France where my sister and I, we were talking to a young woman who stopped by the book table at the marketplace. Now, I, I don't remember what she was reading or how far we got into sharing the word with her, but eventually she said, I don't want to become a Christian right now. There's a lot right now that I want to see and do, and I can't do that if I'm a Christian. Maybe later. I tried to tell her, but there may not be a later time. By that point, she walked away. Now, if any of you have tried to share the gospel with people, you've probably come across the people with uh, four types of hearts the Lord's talking about. Now, in a way, reading this kind of parable might be a little discouraging. You know, the Lord doesn't give statistics with this parable, saying that 25% of your seeds will be eaten by birds, or 25% of your seed will be choked up by thorns, and so on. But it seems that the word of God is only successful in one of four scenarios. That could seem a little sad to anyone wanting to share the word of God with people. If I bought a pack of seeds from the hardware store and I found that only a quarter of them were going to sprout up, then I might find that a little depressing. But now let's look at the good ground that does bear fruit. I'll just read uh, verse 23 again. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty some 30. 
So what is the fruit that I am supposed to expect from the seed in this parable? Or as Jesus puts it, the word of the kingdom. Now, whenever I am looking for growing vegetables from seed, the seed packets I buy at the store will usually have a nice picture of the kind of fruit or vegetables that I should expect to eventually be coming from the plant that I plant. If I plant a seed packet with a picture of cherry tomatoes in the front, well, I should expect cherry tomatoes to eventually come from that patch of ground. I shouldn't be expecting cucumbers. So what kind of fruit should I expect from the gospel? A changed life, a born-again life. The person who, as in verse 23, the Lord says, hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, is someone who really understands the gospel, is saved, and has the fruit in their lives that we're looking for. Now, we see this fruit mentioned in other parts of the Bible. I'll just uh, read another verse to give an example. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A person who is a fourth type of ground mentioned, we should see as being, we should, this person should be loving, they should be joyful, gentle, faithful, kind, really Christ-like in character. Love should be a defining characteristic of their lives, love for the believers, love for other people. A person who is a ground that bears good fruit should be characterized by a lifestyle free of sin. In 1 John 3, 9, the Apostle John writes, Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. The Apostle John uses the picture of a seed like the Lord Jesus does in describing the Word of God. And if a person has really been saved, the Word of God will have a sanctifying influence, a cleansing influence on someone's life. It remains in him, as he says. Now, a believer, of course, can and will still sin sometimes, but it shouldn't be their lifestyle in practice. Their lifestyle should be a righteous one. And though I mentioned this parable might seem discouraging because of how little success the sower seems to have, then we should look at the success that the sower does have on the ground that does bear fruit. Let's look at the numbers for a moment. The Lord Jesus says 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold like 30 times, 60 times, and 100 times. That's, a, that's the yield he's talking about. Now, I did something this year that I haven't done with my garden before. Um, it might sound a little silly, but I decided to keep a tally this year of how many vegetables I was growing. Every time I picked a yellow squash, I would put a tick mark under a column yellow labels, labeled yellow squash. Every time I picked a zucchini, I would put another tick mark under the zucchini column. And I thought I did pretty well this year on some of my crops. I got 37 yellow squash, I got a dozen zucchinis, and probably on the order of about 1,000 cherry tomatoes. But if I look at the numbers the Lord is talking about, my harvest is actually pretty pitiful. As you see, um, for instance, I had eight summer squash plants 
that produced those 37 squash I picked. Now, we don't have to go through the exact math, but you can see that's not 30-fold. And the number of tomatoes I grew might sound impressive, but then I have about 30 tomato plants in my backyard. But the numbers that the Lord is talking about defy what any farmer on earth could possibly get. I mean, a hundredfold. If someone told me that I could get a hundred zucchinis out of one zucchini plant, I would say that's impossible. Most zucchini plants burn out after 12 zucchinis. Seeds and plants, they, don't, they just don't work that way. You can't produce a hundred vegetables from one plant. So what does it mean when believers bear fruit? Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Now, it doesn't refer to them seeing like 30 or 60 or 100 other people get saved, though other people might get saved as a result of someone coming to know the Lord. But what the Lord's numbers are referring to are the impact that this believer is going to have. If a believer is really living a Christ-like life, as the Lord desires they live, people are going to see God in the life of that believer. One believer may have a sanctifying influence on their whole unsafe family, or he or she might be a light shining brightly in the midst of a very spiritually dark neighborhood. If a believer is really showing fruit in their life, like love for other people, their life is going to touch many other lives. Now, everything I've mentioned, it's really hard to measure, quantify. One believer showing the love of Christ towards every, other, every person he meets, um, it goes beyond any possible seed harvests I can illustrate with. Take a man like George Mueller. George Mueller was a believer in the 1800s, and he wasn't just a preacher of the gospel, but he, he founded several orphanages in England and in his lifetime, he is said to have cared for around um, 10,000 orphans. Now, we don't know how many of those thousands of orphans got saved through his ministry, but I, I would imagine quite a number of them. Then imagine the impact also that those orphans had on other people they met. A lot of fruit from one seed. So how do I apply this parable? Well, one way is to look at the identity of the sower. Who is the sower? The sower is not explicitly identified in the parable, unlike the next parable. In the parable of the wheat and tares that we'll look at later on, um, the sower is identified as the Lord Jesus. In this parable, the sower could be the Lord Jesus, he was spreading the word of this kingdom constantly during his time here on earth. But we could really say it could be anyone who is sharing the, sharing the word of God with people. Now, a question to ask myself, have I been trying to share God's word with unsaved people? We can and really should be putting ourselves in the place of the sower. As I was prepping for this message, I was convicted by the fact that I have not been making much effort in sowing seeds recently. But this is an integral part of who I'm supposed to be as a believer. 
regardless of the response I get, I should be a sower. The sower is me, you, any believer out there who's able to sow seed and should be sowing seed. So to all of us believers out there, including myself, let's be on the lookout for opportunities to sow seed. We're living in a world that is rapidly changing now. It's very, it's very tr- troubled with things going on like the coronavirus and a lot of um, political and social unrest. If you compare the hearts of men to soil, like the Lord does in this parable, it's very possible this is a time when the Lord is perhaps working the soil and changing it. Soil that is very hard and dry and weedy does not make a good environment for new seed to grow. Seeds often can't penetrate hard soil and grow in it. On the other hand, that same soil has been weeded and softened up and broken with a tool like a shovel, suddenly it might be possible for seeds to take root and grow. We went over earlier in the parable how the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches can choke the word, but we're living in very humbling times where a lot of people have lost their jobs, have lost their riches, and the material things they've cared about in this world have been taken away. Perhaps some of the thorns that would normally choke out the word are now gone from people's lives. Now, in regards to sowing the word of God in people's hearts, I have to admit, sometimes I've been discouraged in trying to witness to people. Sometimes it just seems that people are so hardened or are so disinterested or they're so taken up with things in the world. But there's nothing to say that a patch of ground will always be the same. Maybe a patch of ground might prove to be hard and infertile one year, but if there's a favorable change in the condition of the soil, there's nothing, nothing to say that can't be ground that will yield a crop. Some ground I'm looking to plant seeds in may not be ready yet, just like the heart of someone I'm looking to reach out to and share the gospel with may not be ready yet to receive the word of God. Just looking at my own life, I could say that when I was 18 years old, I probably would not have been the good soil that yielded crop, as is seen in the last verse of the parable. When I was 18, I wasn't really that receptive to talking about spiritual things, and it might have been like one of those people where the seed fell by the wayside. But three years later, when I was 21 years old, things had changed. My circumstances in life were different, and I was curious in my life about spiritual things. And eventually I got saved at 21. Now, I can't say whether my life has yielded a harvest of 30 or 60 or 100 fold, but we'll just say it's yielded something. Now, is there any way I can make literal soil more fertile, more able to receive seed? Well, there's quite a bit I can do in the, in the physical world. I can, um, if I don't prepare ground, you know, if I just throw some seeds in the ground and wait to see what happens, a lot of times not a whole lot happens. Because, like I said, unprepared soil has a lot of problems. But if I spend some time softening up that soil and working it, then that soil might be good soil for a plant to actually sprout up. And in the same way, that may work with people too. Say if I try to share the gospel with some random person in the street. Now, probably not a whole lot would happen. 
Uh, perhaps someone with the gift of evangelism could see something happen, but for myself, if I tried to talk to someone I had never met about the, about the Bible, this person might just kind of stare at me and think, who are you and why are you talking about this? But if I spend some time building a relationship with someone and praying for a person, that might be different. That person might be more willing to hear me out. They might be that fertile ground, spiritually speaking. Now, in a lot of ways, sowing seed or finding opportunities to share the word of God has become a lot more difficult and challenging in this day and age. With all the restrictions on social distancing and many people afraid of getting COVID, um, contact with people has become a lot more difficult. Our assembly used to have regular contact with people in our neighborhood through like barbecues or um, community events like, neighbor, like um, National Night Out, but that's not really possible now. Before this pandemic, you used to be able to invite an unsafe person over for dinner, but not anymore. And I kind of wonder when um, might there be a chance to have a in-person Bible study in a home again? We don't know. But there are still ways of sowing seed. Maybe not in person anymore, but there are still ways. Now, in terms of literally sowing physical seed on the ground, there's no way to do that from a distance. But the Word of God is not that way. You can sow the Word of God in someone's heart over the telephone, through an email, through a text, through Zoom. Now, part of me has been somewhat discouraged by these times because it seems like there are a lot less opportunities to share the gospel with people since there's a lot less person-to-person contact. But then I remembered, wait a second. Um, some years ago, I actually had a Bible study over the phone with my sister. And eventually she got saved. There's nothing that stops the Lord from saving a person from close range or from far away. One last thing. The parable is not just addressed to believers, but also to unbelievers. Jesus, when he first tells the parable, he gave the, um, he's, t- he's talking to the multitude. Like he, he gives his explanation to, to the disciples, but when he first tells the parable, he's talking to the multitude, which may have included some believers, but very likely was made up mostly of unsaved people. As we see from other parts of the gospel, that the multitude, you could say, was a really fickle crowd. Some people were following Jesus to just get some uh, free bread and fish or just a chance to see a miracle. Though some people in the multitude may have been scratching their heads hearing this parable, there were probably people in the multitude who realized that Jesus was not literally giving a lesson on agriculture. So the question that an unsafe person should ask is, what kind of ground am I? Am I actually showing fruit in my life? Or am I letting things choke out the word of God in my life? Now, if anyone listening to this message is not sure about where they stand with the Lord, it's a question to ask yourself today. What kind of ground are you? Now, to believers, I would encourage you this week, um, and I would make it a challenge to you, and I'll challenge myself too, to pray for an unsaved person this week and for a chance to sow seed with them. Pray that the soil of their heart would be softened and that you'd have the opportunity to sow seed and good soil this week. Let's pray.
Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we thank you that you want us to co-labor with you and be people who sow, the word, sow your word in, in people's hearts. And we do pray for opportunities this week, Lord, to sow your word on good soil, on hearts that are receptive to your word. We do pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name.